Good day, it's uh, Bierkegaard, the writings of Soren Kierkegaard. As we continue to work through this book, Purity of Heart is to Will One Thing. Uh, this book has been a challenge. This is not some soft reading, some beach reading. This is some hardcore, uh, hardcore truth. And uh, Soren loves us and he cares about us. But Soren would say, if you love someone, you tell them the truth. Uh, God tells us the truth about ourselves. He said we're, uh, we're sinful. And that can sound not like love, but if it's true and he doesn't tell us that we're sinful, then we have a disease that we can't have reconciled. So truth and grace, uh, truth and love, truth and charity have to coexist. They're not opposites. They, they inform each other. Um, but Soren's not, not a soft writer, and he wants you to... Uh, wants to perform surgery of sorts on our hearts and our wills and our minds. And uh, we can be thankful for it. I happen to uh, get connected to a guy who lives in uh, Copenhagen. His name is Johannes Miskod. I believe that's how his last name is pronounced. I could be wrong. And he is uh, going to be doing uh, tours around Copenhagen uh, on... Uh, on Mondays at 10 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. Now, it's obviously different no matter where you are. I think it was like 4 o'clock in the afternoon in Copenhagen. We did one on uh, this previous Monday. And uh, he was showing where uh, Soren had lived when he, when, he, uh, when he was in Copenhagen. He had moved like 10 times, and I wasn't aware of that. And I think most of the, uh, most of the places where he had lived have no longer exist as buildings. It might have been the war. Uh, World War Two, or it might have been just age or something, but he did show some locations. I think some of the buildings were still standing, but it was really neat because it was a live, uh, it's a live broadcast. You get asked questions, you know. He wouldn't an answer the questions until the end, which was fun. Um, but ten o'clock, if anybody's interested in that information, uh, just reach out to me either on Twitter or um, some of you have reached out on Facebook, which is fine. Uh, I've kind of changed my policy a little bit on Facebook. If uh, you're a friend of Soren's, you're a friend of mine. So I will friend people on on Facebook now if you're a um, if you're a follower of the podcast. So, I mean, I could take that as an act of friendship because hopefully you feel like I'm friendly, and I'm certainly friendly towards you, even though I don't know a lot of you. I, I can't say that I do. <laughs> That's just obvious. But my previous uh, protocol has been, unless I knew somebody in real life, I don't friend people online. So don't do anything unusual uh, on my page, please. These are my friends. These are people that are important to me. And I trust if you listen to this podcast and you're faithful that you're not going to spam me or do some, do some stuff that's, uh, you know, obviously not positive or uplifting or good or all those type of things. Uh, so send me a message on Facebook if you want more information about this tour. Now it's 10 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, which a lot of people are working, of course, so I don't advise you to do this during your job unless you're the boss or you have permission to take a break or something. It lasts about uh, about 45 minutes, I think. And he's going to do other parts of Soren's life coming up. Uh, but it's on location, so it's really neat. And uh, I'm actually thinking about going to Copenhagen uh, with my trip to Sacramento being canceled back on December 22nd to January 3rd. Um, I can get some really, really good uh, rates, uh, some... Uh, the cost for going to Copenhagen to fly from Philadelphia to New York City 
and the lodging or the hotels, I think you can get, get it all under under $2,000. And I can't get to Sacramento and stay there and get a rental car for anything less than about $3,200. So I might hook up with Johannes out there now that I have a contact. Here's something that's really interesting about Johannes. And if you're listening, Johannes, hello. Um, he has a PhD in Ed Psych, just like me. Uh, so this is the study of learning and cognition. Uh, the developmental uh, stages that people go through as babies to young children to older children to adolescents to young adults to older adults. What changes neurologically? Uh, first of all, in our brains, our brains do change. Uh, they go through different patterns and different stages, but it also affects how our cognition works. Uh, so he's an ed ed educational psychologist with a PhD, uh, just like me. And he's also a, a firm Christian. And I asked him a question in the comments, and he replied. I said, how's, how's Soren viewed in Denmark these days? Is he having a renaissance of sorts? That was kind of the intent of my question. And Johannes uh, sadly answered, and, it, and it's, it, it causes sadness. It causes sadness for me, for sure. And it causes sadness for, her, for him, I'm sure, even more, because he is him, uh, even more so because he's Danish. He said, Soren's not beloved. Uh, there are people that do uh, read him, of course, uh, but he's not considered like Denmark, uh, Denmark's um, native son or greatest uh, poet or uh, thinker or philosopher or writer. He said Hans Christian Andersen is much more revered. And he said uh, Soren, Soren took his faith too seriously. He was too firm in his convic convictions. And just like uh, back in the day in the 1840s and 1850s when he lived and when he wrote predominantly, um, I think that I think he still was alive in the 1850s. I could be wrong. Um, he uh, he he rubbed people the wrong way. He had his adherents and his followers, of course, uh, but the majority of uh, Copenhagen and Denmark society did not um, did not uh, appreciate him. And so it's almost like Jesus not being uh, not being uh, a source of affection and worship in his hometown. You know, it's like oh, that's Jesus. I knew his. I knew his mom, I knew his stepdad or his dad or whatever. Uh, I know his brothers and sisters. He's just like us. Yeah, he's 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 different, all right, but maybe not in a good way. Um, so that broke my heart uh, that Soren is not revered. He should be, and we are doing our best to make Soren known in this generation. I can't control what happened in the past, but I will do my best from here on in. As God gives me the breath uh, to direct attention to Soren, and this is really, really important with this podcast. This podcast is ultimately not about me. Um, it helps me psychologically to not bear the burden of being the presence uh, or the focus of this podcast. I certainly do my part. I uh, put my own perspective in. I like to see myself as somewhat Kierkegaardian in how I see things. I'm conservative. I'm firm. And my beliefs, but I'm also flexible in terms of how I talk about it. I have a lot of experience working in the world. I'm not naive. I'm not some, somebody who's just kind of hidden out in the church my entire life. I've seen a lot of bad things in my job. I've seen a lot of great things, but I'm not naive, and I have uh, some worldly, some worldly smarts. But one thing that helps me in this podcast is to feel like I have this reservoir of soaring these 30 books, uh, both upstairs and down here. In my kitchen and in my uh, in my study and in my living room, I have Soren around in a few different places. But my job is to point towards him, uh, to point towards his work, uh, to take the pressure off of me. I don't want to 
be the focus. That's too much, too much pressure for me. I don't want to become so self, self, self-referential. And you might find that a bit ironic because I do talk about myself quite a bit here. I talk about what I'm going through and what I'm learning, but it's always hopefully through the lens of Sorn. Uh, so I don't want to be a self-promoter here. I always, always, always have a hard time with self-promotion. Um, I believe in what I'm doing. I believe in my skills and my gifts. I think it's uh, dishonoring to God if I don't believe that. I certainly don't believe that I'm all that. I try to be humble in combination with like with what I consider to be my giftings. Um, but I don't. I would rather have other people say things that are positive about me. Now I will share those occasionally with uh, a larger audience. Uh, like I'll post it on social media and ask your permission to do that. But I, you know, people reach out and say, Hey, I really like your podcast. It sounds like we're just sitting down and having a beer and having a conversation. And it's like really relaxed. That's what Johannes said. He's had something to the effect. Like I've listened to your podcast. It's very uh, peaceful or something. Or something along those lines. Um, uh, so I don't want this to become a brand or a platform for me. But if somebody does say some really good things, I think it encourages other people to try it. Like I have a, a colleague that I used to work with at my previous school district who is not a big podcast guy, but he puts on at a, a Sunday night like a top 10 of the things that God is teaching him. And it's a lot about his job and his desire for a full-time teaching position and uh, you know things he does volunteering around the community. But he works in the school district. He's a He's a... He's a he's almost a district employee in the sense that he's he's he substitutes teachers so often the kids know him really well and hopefully he's going to get a full time job in the district he deserves it uh, but that's not my call of course uh, but he wrote something really kind in his weekly Sunday night uh, post on Facebook that hey I'm not a podcast person never thought I would be and hopefully uh, this is okay for me to share this uh, Jacob uh, I just want to give you a little shout out uh, <laughs> he said but. It, uh, Eric Birker has this podcast called Birkergard. You know, he talks about the rise of Soren Kierkegaard and he gets off on tangents, which I love or I like or whatever. I don't know if he loves them, but he likes them. Uh, but he also applies it to like contemporary situations. And as a social studies teacher, I really, I really dig it. Uh, so like, um, I put that up on Facebook. I think it's neat. I, I like to share what people think about it because I think it encourages other people to say, eh, maybe it's worth checking out, you know, it's a testimonial. But I don't, I don't go out and fish for testimonials. I don't pay people or something. Or, or bribe them with uh, with beer or coffee or other blandishments. I love that word, blandishments. Uh, I also don't want to even scores on this podcast. So I don't want to be like, you know, I got an issue against somebody or something or somewhere. And then I'm going to use this podcast as a platform. And they may not know it or they may catch on or whatever. And it's a bit of a struggle for me because I think I have to talk about things that I've been through, both good and bad. And sometimes it involves other people, like my parents. I don't know what to say. Um, you know, I have to talk about them. I went through it. I was a participant. I was a victim. I was contributing to the whatever, the pathology of my family. Um, and my parents certainly have a lot of great qualities. I admire my mom in many ways, but I do not see eye to eye, eye, to eye with her spiritually. We are uh, completely different. Yeah, my dad too. My dad's an agnostic, you know, and he uh, postures himself as some kind of authority on religious matters, and he's not. He doesn't know the first thing he's talking about. If I was a critic of Christianity, if I was somebody that thought the Bible was just a bunch of hooey and a pile, a pile of nonsense and fables, I would read it, and I would know the Bible better than Christians. Uh, that would be what I would do if I was a critic. And, you know, I get in a lot of debates with people online, and I try to be constructive about it. It happened on Sunday. Somebody posted something snarky about Jesus, 
And I happened to reply, and I was trying to be respectful, but you know, I, I'm firm in terms of how I see things. This is not, my beliefs are not the product of a, a three-day examination. It's been 40 years now. Um, and, you know, people that are agnostic, and I'm saying, you know, so I'm trying to excise that from my vocabulary. For, pray for me that my, my wordings would not rely on those phrases that come in and fill the blanks, blank spaces. Um, but people who challenge uh, the faith better be prepared because I'm bringing a lot to the table. I do have a PhD and I have read the Bible completely through in depth two times and I read it a lot and I read a lot of theology and I know a decent amount of history uh, and I also know a lot about my stuff in my, my area of specialization, which working with kids, cognition, neurological development, which kind of ties into biology and evolution. You know, so a lot of times people tee off on me and they don't quite realize, they don't take the time to say, hey, this guy's a fairly unique name. Maybe they search out a little bit and see what this guy is and what he's done. They would see like a lot of articles posted. I've been on a bunch of podcasts. Uh, they'd probably see my PhD. They'd see the book that I've written. <laughs> Um, they would see essays that I've written for different publications and gotten paid for. And it's clear I'm bringing something to the table. So if somebody wants to tee off on me, I, I, I feel like it's my responsibility to respond and say, listen, I've thought about this issue, as have other Christians for 2,000 years. It's not like this is the first time these questions have been asked of us. Um, so I had a, a big debate going with probably 15 different people on Sunday, and some people were on my side, of course, uh, and mostly it's pretty constructive. It was mostly pretty constructive. Occasionally, people were a bit mean-spirited, and one guy was fairly insulting and be condescending to me. And I said, "You do that again, I'm blocking, blocking you, baby." Um, but I don't want this podcast to be about me. I want to be a mirror, reflect Sorn. Uh, number two, I don't want to use it to even scores, uh, even like people that I've had problems with or people that have problems with me. And use this as my platform. I, I think that gets tiring to listeners because it's not your issue. I know that. Um, so there's a fine line there between talking about something for context and, and trying to maybe explain something that I learned in that thing and try to put myself in an honest light, both good and bad. Uh, and then using it as a platform to make people feel uncomfortable. Like, this is not my issue. Why? Like, when people tell me problems that they're having with other people, my first thing is, why don't you go talk to that person? Like, <laughs> I can help. Listen, maybe, but I'm going to point you back to that person to resolve this issue. I can't solve that problem for you. So I want Soren to be a focus here, of course. It takes the pressure off of me. I don't want to be self-promoting or use it as a platform or monetize it. You know, like, oh, I'm just using this to make money. I'm going to pretend like I'm selfless, but, man, I got a scheme. And I also don't want to use it to even scores. So I want to talk about those things. So I'm going to get in a little story here before we read Soren. I really love this chapter today. It's really, really great. Uh, the price of willing one thing, the sufferer's use of cleverness to expose evasion. So we use cleverness to avoid, uh, to avoid uh, suffering and to avoid uh, willing, willing the truth. Uh, we use cleverness all the time. And uh, it's not just cleverness, but we also want to be rewarded for it to kind of review this book. Or we want to avoid punishment. Or we take a secret uh, enjoyment and being God's agent. We want good to triumph through us, and that's not bad, but it can be overly egotistical. And the real test is when we get criticized, when we are genuinely doing the right thing and people say, hey, I think your message stinks, and I think you stink. And it can happen on the podcast. People can be really, really um, nasty sometimes um, on the podcast, reviews. It's happened uh, once. Um, it can happen on social media. But if we're truly... Uh, if we're truly willing the good, uh, we're going to be willing to absorb 
the negativity. And uh, it's, it's, we may be exactly where God wants us to be. Uh, that's all I'm going to say on that. It says, chapter 11, the price of willing one thing. Uh, the suffrage use of cleverness to expose evasion. So not using cleverness to avoid it, but to expose it. Again, kind of like an x-ray. And just to get back to my tooth for a minute, because it's interesting, an x-ray played a role. I went to the dentist on the 21st because uh, my tooth hurt like hell. Um, I didn't know what was going on, but I'd never been in so much pain in my life. I couldn't sleep. And uh, went to an emergency appointment with the dentist on the 21st. Didn't see a thing. Uh, the doctor gave me some paste to build up the enamel of my teeth, and I got a, a dental guard that's not just a mouthpiece for, like, rugby, which I had. Uh, but I got a dental guard, which is a bit smaller, but it's more uh, precise and better to sleep with. Um, but the dentist didn't say anything on the 21st. I was frustrated because I felt like I didn't really get an answer to what the, the pain was. The pain was far too severe just to be a sensitivity issue, and I kind of knew that. Let me take a sip of coffee here. But anyway, my dental insurance started on January 1st, uh, so I couldn't get my teeth cleaned until after January 1. And uh, as a result, they had to punt the appointment all the way to like March sometime, March 23rd, uh, because they didn't have any openings. But they did say if we have a cancellation, you can come on in. So I got a phone call maybe last Tuesday or something. This is probably before um, last Wednesday, before the last podcast. And they said, hey, do you want to come and get your teeth cleaned? I'm like, heck yeah, baby. I think I already reviewed this. So... Um, uh, I got in, it was a cancellation, got in like two and a half months early, but as a result of cleaning my teeth, you know, the sprayer and the scrapers and the flossing and all that kind of stuff, uh, when they took the x-rays, the dentist could see the crack of my tooth. It's the second tooth from the back on the right side of my mouth on the bottom. That's number 31. And they showed an x-ray of it. If you'd like to see a picture of the tooth, uh, the, the, either the crack or the extracted tooth, just let me know. I'll get it to you. And uh, the crack was as plain as day. So they could see it when they, Dennis could see it on, uh, on, uh, on the last week's appointment and the cleaning. They couldn't see on the 21st. So they said you have to see an oral surgeon. So this is kind of where this story picks off, um, picks, picks up a bit. And use, using evasion uh, or not using cleverness to discover a problem like an x-ray or an MRI or a CAT scan. And there is a point to this story. Just hold on, I'm getting there. I know my mind works in kind of a circuitous fashion sometimes, very much like Soren's. Uh, so they saw the crack and gave me a list of all these oral surgeons I could call for an extraction appointment. And then I had to get an implant put in because I had this huge gap in my mouth right now. Um, so luckily, there was a cancellation at one of the five places that uh, I had contacted. I was just saying, I got to get this tooth out. There's no way that I can have this tooth in my mouth this long for two and a half months. It's just not going to happen. Because uh, most of the oral surgeon appointments were later in March also. So it's good they got my teeth cleaned on a canceled appointment, but it's also good that I called around a lot because uh, some of the places wanted to first have a consultation, then have the extraction, so like a two-meeting thing, which is going to put it even further down the road. So I found a place over in York, which is kind of where I worked in the community, in the area where I worked, not necessarily the district, but close to it, where they said, hey, we had a cancellation, I think it was today, can you come today? And I'm like, heck yeah, baby. I'll be over. I didn't say that, of course, but that's what I was thinking. Like, I'm getting this thing out as soon as possible because I just didn't have a crack in my tooth. I also had an infection underneath the tooth that was creating an abscess. Uh, so bacteria in the mouth and infections are very dangerous, as you might know. Uh, people can get, like, serious uh, complications from that, get sepsis in their body. Uh, so I got the tooth pulled, which means uh, you know, I have this huge gap uh, back in my back in my right jaw. And I'm right jaw dominant. I chew on the right side of my mouth, so now I have to chew on the left side of my mouth. Uh, but Soren wants us to use an x-ray to see the cracks in our belief systems and our actions and our egos. And he wants to, 
he wants to pull that tooth, so to speak, and replace it with something stronger. And this tooth originally started going bad about 20 years ago. My body thought it was a baby tooth and was corroding it from beneath. It was dissolving the roots and the connection to the jaw from below. And I had to get oral surgery, and they had to fill it from below. And it never really quite took. Um, some places with this extraction said they could do the implantation on the same day, and I thought that was a bit too much. Like, no, that, that sounds too fast the other way which uh, just having a, an appointment, a consultation, and then not having the extraction the same day seemed like it was, uh, it was too, uh, too long, but doing the extraction and the implantation the same day sounded too fast. It's kind of like Goldilocks here. So I kind of found the happy medium of an a oral surgeon who was willing to do the extraction and also to do the, um, the bone graft uh, so they can build up the jaw uh, to put the implant into. So apparently the jaw may or may not be able to handle the drill when they put the implant in, so you have to put in some like kind of cement or something. And it takes a couple couple months for the bone graft to build. Uh, so I'm going today to get the stitches out. But Soren is wants to use, get back to this point here. I'll get on Soren directly, and I'll go talk about a little bit more about some other things in a minute. Uh, but I'll get more onto Soren here because this is a really really good chapter. The price of willing one thing, the sufferer's use of cleverness to expose evasion, to expose the crack. Uh, not to paste over it, not to paper over it, not to fill it in. Because what happened before my teeth was cleaned is the plaque and whatever else was stuck in that crack was hiding, hiding the crack. It wasn't, it wasn't the tooth anymore. It was a crack. But there was detritus in there and plaque and probably food and just the buildup of whatever. Tartar, you know, tartar, tartar in your mouth. And it was only until my teeth were fully clean that I could see the crack. So Soren wants to clean us. He wants to clean our souls, our minds, our spirits, our souls to expose the cracks. And then he wants to pull the tooth. And then he wants to replace it with uh, an implant that is stronger and better. So we are fortunate to live in the 21st century because 200 years ago, if, if they could have done anything, if they could have figured out what the problem was, they would have pulled out some... Uh, some rope or something and tied it around the tooth or some kind of twine and tied it to a horse and then hit the horse in the ass and let the horse pull the tooth out. It'd be that kind of stuff. All right, so the price of willing one thing, the sufferer's use of cleverness to expose evasion. And um, I'm frustrated the dentist didn't clean my teeth on the 21st or do enough work around the, the tooth to see the crack. I mean, that's what he went to went to dental school for to assume that maybe that could be an issue. It shouldn't have taken the cleaning uh, on in January to figure that out. They should have cleaned the tooth and the area where it was hurting on the 21st. But that's just my perspective. I let people be human too. But believe me, if I hadn't got an appointment until the end of March and I got another infection and I had to be hospitalized because they didn't do that, I would have been really ticked. But it all worked out. So anyway, uh... The price of willing one thing, the sufferer's use of cleverness to expose evasion, but the sufferer who sincerely wills the good uses this very cleverness to cut off of evasions and hence to launch himself into uh, the commitment and escape the disillusionments of choosing the temporal way. Now remember, Soren doesn't want us to put our hearts and our souls and our hopes into the, into the temporal order. We exist in time and space. Uh, so we don't want to be gnostic and pretend like the um, the spirit is 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 the way to live, but the body is just um, you know just uh, just something vile and disgusting and all that. We're sinful, but there's there's redeeming aspects of creation. We're a part of that, but he doesn't want us to put our hope into the temporal way. 
um, which is passing. It's passing away. Let's put our hopes in it, our, our hopes for eternity, or deal with our sin nature through uh, temporary matters. He does not fear the mark of the commitment that, as it were, draws the suffering over him, for he knows that this mark is uh, breaking through, is the breaking through of the eternal. He knows uh, that the commitment and the nerve uh, of the temporal order is being cut, um, even though the pain continues in the wish. There is no doubt that what often makes a sufferer impatient is that he takes upon himself in advance the suffering of a whole lifetime and now quails before what would be lighter to bear if he were to take each day's burdens as it comes. Now, he didn't cite this from the Bible, but this is Jesus who said, uh, worry not about tomorrow, sufficient are the troubles of, of today. Essentially, that's what Jesus is saying. And there's, there's some value in, in projecting into the future and to thinking about the future. But ultimately, we have to live in the present. We have to solve problems in the present. We have to face things in the present. We can't get our hands on the future as easily, but we can plan for it. Uh, so there's a balance there, of course, uh, just like most things in life. You don't want to be dumbfounded by life or caught unawares. His life, when he is, he is and remains committed to the good, contains a severe judgment upon the many who use in an inexcusable way, uh, way the much that has been given them. On his lonely outpost, he too would uh, be defending a difficult past by saving his own soul from all the ensnaring difficulties of suffering. Although not a single man should see him, mankind feels with him, suffers with him, and conquers with him. Uh, yet one thing remains to be discussed before leaving the matter of sufferings. Can one be said to will uh, suffering? Is not suffering uh, something that one must be forced into against his will? Um, Soren is, is explaining the difference between a suffering that's kind of handed to us, uh, like it's kind of imposed upon us, or the suffering that we choose, uh, that we, like we talked about, like paying attention to people is a form of suffering. Uh, taking the focus off ourselves is a form of suffering. It's not great suffering, in my opinion, but like listening to people and letting other people make their case and hearing somebody out and not defending ourselves immediately. Uh, these are all acts of sacrifice and suffering. Uh, Soren's also pointing out that we can have suffering come our way that we can resist and that we can fight. Like even though we're going to suffer and our our obstinacy is not going to change the suffering, we never we never acquiesce to it. And Soren is imploring us: there's a time that we can willingly accept um, suffering that we can't control. Like we embrace it. We say, "This is God's will for me. I will embrace it, even though I wouldn't choose it." and I've prayed that God would remove it, I will accept it, and I will find God's purposes in it, right? So to have peace in suffering, if we can, a lot easier said than done. If your tooth is cracked, believe me, it's hard to embrace suffering. Uh, take it out! Yes, for many, uh, for many men, it is almost an impossibility for them to unite freedom and suffering in the same thought. Hence, when they see a man of means who could spend his time easily and comfortably, when they see him straining himself uh, as much as a scrupulous workman, exposing himself to many sufferings, choosing the burdensome way of a higher calling, they look upon him as either a fanatic or a lunatic. And uh, I'm sure Soren was seen as those two things. They all but complain that Providence has given all of these fortunate circumstances to someone that simply does not know how to make use of them. 
They think in their hearts, even when they do not say it aloud, even when they do not consider how tragic uh, they tragically they are betraying their own inner life. We should have been there in his place. We should have really, uh, we should have really known how to enjoy that life. According uh, to this, if one can be free of suffering, it is either fanaticism or insanity to will it. Page one seventy three. Let's go here. In one sense, uh, let me just go. On the other hand, and this is what we must primarily consider, for we are speaking of the true sufferer. The sufferer can voluntarily accept the suffering which in one sense is forced upon him insofar as he does not have it in his power uh, to get rid of it. Can anyone but one who is free of suffering say, put me in chains, I am not afraid? Can even a prisoner say, on my own free will I accept my imprisonment, that the very imprisonment which is already his condition? Here again, the opinion of most men is that such a thing is impossible, and therefore the condition of the sufferer is one of sighing despondency. But what then is patience? Is patience precisely that courage which voluntarily accepts the unavoidable suffering? The unavoidable is just the thing which will shatter courage. This is there is treacherous opposition in the sufferer himself uh, uh, that is in league with the dread of inevitability, and together they wish to crush him. But in spite of this, patient. In spite of this, uh, patience submits to suffering, and by just this submission finds itself free in the midst of unavoidable suffering. Thus, patience, if one may put it this way, performs an even greater miracle than courage. Courage voluntarily chooses suffering that may be avoided, but patience achieves freedom in unavoidable suffering. Let me read that again, because this is something that deserves a highlight. Courage voluntarily chooses suffering that may be avoided, but patience achieves freedom and unavoidable suffering. By his courage, the free one voluntarily lets himself be caught, but by his patience, the prisoner affects his freedom, although not in the sense that need make the jailer anxious or fearful. One cannot be forced into patience. Uh, that is um, gold right there. Patience is a gift of the spirit. The ability just to absorb and to endure. When a, person's of me- when a person of means voluntarily chooses the hard way, then he is called strange. He who could be so well off without working and who could indulge his every desire of comfort And when the victim of unavoidable suffering bears it patiently, one says of him, uh, to his shame, he is coerced and he is making a virtue out of a necessity. Undeniably, he is making a virtue out of a necessity. That is just the secret. That is certainly a most accurate designation for what he does. He makes a virtue out of a necessity. He brings a determination of freedom out of which is determined as necessity, and it is just that the healing power of the decision for the eternal resides. That the sufferer may voluntarily accept the compulsory suffering. (laughs) 
And to, and to people that don't like soaring, this sounds like mumbo jumbo. But if you have ears to hear and eyes to see, you know that Soren is right on something right there. That the suffering may, sufferer may voluntarily accept the compulsory suffering. Hmm. And he's got this great line, which will be the name, name of today's podcast. I am eternity's free citizen. Necessity uh, cannot imprison him. He accepts involuntary confinement. <laughs> Except involuntary confinement. My listeners, if you're willing, let's recall the direction that our, talks, our talk has taken. If a man should will one thing, he must will the good. For in this way alone, was it possible for him to will a single thing, uh, which is the good. Uh, bad is multiplicitous. Uh, good is a, is a unity. If, however, it is to be genuine, he must the will. He must will the good truth, according to whether he is an active one or sufferer. He must be willing either to do all for the good, or he must be willing to suffer all for the good. He must be willing either to do all for the good, or to be and to remain committed to the good. But cleverness may be misused internally to seek evasions. And misuse externally and deception. The good man, on the contrary, uses cleverness to cut off all evasions and thereby, thereby to launch and to remain constant. I am eternity's free citizen. Oh, I love that. It reminds me of a student I used to work with who was from Belgium, uh, but he was of Haitian descent. His father was, um, was Haitian. Uh, but he lived in Belgium, and his father, who was Haitian, who lived in Belgium, had moved to America, and I think the parents had a falling out or something, I don't know. Um, but this kid now lived in America, and so he was of Haitian descent, who lived in Belgium, but it was like the French area of Belgium, because uh, Haiti is a former uh, French uh, colony, as you know, and Haiti was the only country in the Western Hemisphere that threw off the shackle of slavery on its own without like the use of the civil war or something like that. Um, but I had a conversation one time and I said, Hey, constant, his name was constant. His last name was constant, which was a cool name. I said, constant, uh, do you consider yourself Belgian or Haitian or American? What do you consider yourself? Uh, Cause he had been in America for a little while. <clears throat> he said, I, I am a citizen of the world. <laughs> that was a great answer. I'm like, man, that's awesome. You are a citizen of the world. Let me shake your hand. Uh, so even though I worked in a small community on the Susquehanna River in York County, Pennsylvania, uh, the world came to me. We got kids from all over the world, either through exchange programs or resettlement or uh, um, yeah, other, other things too. Uh, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Now, if you know where that came from, you are a good biblical understander. That's uh, from the book of James. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Uh, the apostle James, uh, no, it wasn't the apostle. Uh, well, he could be, but not in the original 12. James was the younger brother of Jesus, uh, the James who writ, wrote the epistle. Most, most, most commentators and scholars believe that James was the younger brother, half-brother of Jesus, and he was a patriarch in the Jerusalem church. And he was beloved by both Christians and non-Christians. He was such a good man, this guy that wrote this book, that non-Christians would plead with him just to go along to get along. And he refused to do that. And he was killed uh, because he refused to bend his knee to 
any any authority that did not acknowledge Jesus as Lord. Now it's interesting when Jesus was alive, uh, the brothers and sisters of Jesus, the half brothers and half sisters of Jesus, did not believe in him as the Son of God. That came after the resurrection, resurrection from what we can tell. But uh, James loved people, but believe somebody who can love you and say this. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Um, purity of heart. Simply for the reason that the depth of the seed determines its purity, and its purity determines its transparency, since the sea is pure only when it is deep, and transparently, transparency only, transparent only when it is pure. Uh, so our purity of heart is like the ocean, and it, the deeper it is, and the uh, deeper the deeper it is, the um, more transparent it is. Um, if we have that purity, right? Soren lived close to the ocean. Uh, when uh, Johannes did the tour the other day, he walked down to uh, the shore, and uh, so Soren would go down there, of course, and look at the ocean. So he used a lot of examples from. Uh, marine, uh, oceanic type of uh, lessons and things like that. Deeply and transparently pure. On this account, we uh, compare the heart with the sea because the purity of the sea lies in its constancy of depth and transparency. Nor st no storm may perturb it. No sudden gust of wind may stir its surface. No drowsy fog. I love that. Drowsy fog. You know, just kind of laying across the land. Drowsy. Like a cat on a carpet in front of a fire. No drowsy fog may sprout, uh, sprawl out over it. Uh, no doubtful movement may stir within it. No swift moving cloud may darken it. Rather, it must be lie calm, transparent to its depths. And today, if you should see it so... You would be drawn upwards by contemplating the purity of the sea. If you saw it every day, then you would declare that it is forever pure, like the heart of that man who wills but one thing. As the sea, when it lies calm and deeply transparent, yearns for, the, for heaven, so may the pure heart, when it is calm and deeply transparent, yearn for the good. As the sea is made pure... By yearning for heaven alone, so may the heart become pure by yearning only for the good. As the sea mirrors the elevation of heaven and its pure depths, so may the heart, when it is calm and deeply transparent, mirror the divine elevation of the good and its pure depths. If the least thing comes in between, between the heaven and the sea, between the heart and the good, then it would be sheer impatience to covet that reflection or the reflection for if the sea is impure it cannot give a pure reflection of the heavens so we are done chapter 11 um you know one great thing about this podcast is i mentioned this at the start is i have 30 of soren's books and this guy was a machine and not not in a soulless way he was not a technocratic person but he was a writing machine and it's remarkable that he could write so fast and so much and have so much quality. Because usually fastness and quality don't go hand in hand. The faster somebody is about something, unless they are truly a master, usually the quality will suffer. So this is tension between quantity and quality in life. Now the truly gifted and the truly uh, called, uh, whatever their vocation or whatever their artistic endeavor is, if they can do it fast, 
like write a composition for music. And a buddy and I got together yesterday and listened to Vivaldi's uh, Four Seasons, a very remarkable um, composition. And my uh, my buddy's a musician, so he's able to explain all these things the musicians are doing and things that Vivaldi had done. And uh, the pace of the music was very, very quick, and it's very, very hard to play because there's a lot going on. So the ability to be fast and have a lot of quality is a really, really unusual quality. And Soren had that, you know, just kind of pouring out these words uh, from his soul. And um, I have more upstairs and more down here that I am going to be able to do in a lifetime. Um, uh, so I feel very secure in the sense that I have a gold mine uh, to pull from. And I don't have to, like, find guests to make this podcast go. I'm trying to line up three different guests right now. And believe me, it's hard to get guests on the program. And it's no reflection on them. They have busy lives. I am retired. Soren is a focus of my life right now. I intend to go to Johannes's uh, tours at 10 o'clock each uh, Monday morning uh, as long as they go because it's a cool thing. I enjoy it. Um, but not everybody can do that. I understand people have families. People have other commitments. They have to work. Um, they may take on additional things on top of that. It's a, like kind of an avocational interest. Um, so getting guests and finding topics is one of the huge burdens of podcasts. And I, I don't have to deal with any of that. I have dived underneath that wave. I have a gold mine, a diamond mine, a lithium mine, whatever is valuable in today's market that I can access at any time. And there's more there than I'm going to be able to process from now until I'm 100 years old. I guarantee it in terms of this podcast, at least. I may be able to read the books. I may not be able to talk about them. Imagine how long it's taken me to read this book and how long it's going to take me to read all the rest of them and actually talk about it on this podcast. So I have designed this podcast in such a way that it's very, very stress-free for me. Reach out if you want to. Um, Facebook, uh, message, uh, Instagram. It's all Birkegaard. Uh, it's also tw on Twitter. And the podcast continues to grow, so I'm pretty excited about that. So today, one of the reasons I'm up so early, I started this podcast at 4.30 in the morning. I've been up since about 3-something. Uh, is that I'm going to help a buddy today uh, keg some beer. He owns uh, Starview Brewery down here in the town of Columbia. And uh, we were out hiking on Monday early because I wanted to get back for the tour of Copenhagen from Johannes. And so we normally maybe hike around 9 o'clock in the morning uh, but this time we were hiking at 7 o'clock in the morning. And it's a bit colder uh, early in the morning, of course. And um, it's a little bit more hilly on the other side of the river. Uh, a little more hills, a little bit cooler. Um, so there was snow on the ground Monday morning. It wasn't a lot of snow, but I was driving my SUV and I didn't pick up on the roads being icy. They were, but I didn't realize it because my CRV has all-wheel drive and it was tracking fine. Uh, but we got out on the trail. And we hit some asphalt on a driveway, which is about a quarter mile long. It's not completely up, but it's got a huge angle down to the river, and it goes all the way up and up and up. And the, the trail is actually in the driveway. The people that own the property allow that. And we didn't realize at the time the uh, driveway just looked wet, but it was actually an ice skating rink. And I almost slipped, and I got over to the side. I almost went down. Uh, so I got over to the side, and we had to walk across it to get the other side because that uh, was the way we needed to go. Uh, actually, we usually go down the driveway or up the driveway, depending on which way we take the trail. Uh, but we started to realize that maybe that wasn't a good idea. So my buddy hopped out on the on the, on the driveway to get across it so we could uh, walk down the uh, side trail in the woods, uh, which is not the, normally the way we go. And, man, he just got his legs, uh, came out from underneath him, and he hit his shoulder. 
anyway, I told him if he needed a hand with anything around the brewery to let me know. No brains, all brawn here. So he took me up with my offer and asked me if I could help him keg the beer today. So I'm going to go down at 8.30 to do that, which means I had to start this earlier because I have other things to do before 8.30 this morning. And then I have to go see the oral surgeon today get the, uh, get the stitches out. So anyway, the, uh, the podcast continues to grow. Uh, I just want to emphasize, uh, I know it's going a little bit longer today, so I, I bear your patience. I ask for your patience. I beseech thee. Um, we talked about how sacrifice can be paying attention, and this is just a little story here. People, when they uh, don't know us, and we're, we meet them either in like a professional business or a personal situation, you know, if they have something that they need to talk about, they often won't be blurting it out. They often drop clues, and... An attentive listener, which I'm not always great at, I have a lot to say, as you know, and I'm talkative, uh, but I do like to listen because I get blessed so much when I hear other people's stories. I really do. I mean, I genuinely like to listen to other people and hear what they go through, and I love to hear from you guys. It's encouraging. Um, It really puts a lot of wind in my sails to get a good word from somebody. And somebody reached out from Australia. You know who you are, and we've had like a nice little interaction, very encouraging for both of us. Uh, but paying attention to people, often people will drop clues. Now that this is if they're not like just a person that blurts out everything and has no boundaries and no barriers, and their mouth is just uh, you know an open, an open whatever. Uh, um, often people will drop clues and words that they use will mention things. An attentive listener can can ask them about that. Oh, you just mentioned this, or you just mentioned that. Uh, what's that about? Or tell me more. And it's often an invitation. It's often a way that um, healthy people test another person's attentiveness and their willingness to listen. Like, I'm going to throw a clue out there. Maybe people aren't even conscious of doing it. But, man, if you just if you just listen to it. And I don't want to get too personal here, but I had several interactions in the last week because one thing this podcast does for me, it reinforces and reminds me of things that uh, I need to do uh, or maybe teaches me how to do things. And, you know, paying attention is a form of sacrifice. Uh, and in the last week, I had three or four really interesting interactions with people, which was there was kind of a clue drop where I was attentive and I asked them about it. And it created this open window or open door for a very in-depth conversation. And one conversation in particular involved the death of a spouse. And the person needed to talk about it. And there was no reason for it to come up in the context of our conversation. And I'll leave it at that. I guess that's the best way of handling it. So paying attention, sacrifice, and to looking at other people. Now, this is corporate also. It's not just individual. Like our nation can also act in such ways towards other countries where we can pay attention to what's going on in the world and bring our resources uh, to them. We can bring our our knowledge and our science and our technology, like have clean water. Like that's something that every country should have. Just have clean water because without clean water, that country is not going to be able to build uh, every person in that society should have clean water to drink because you can't survive without water. Like 24 hours without water, 48 hours, you're a goner. Um, so like the United States and other other wealthy countries uh, uh, can act in such a way in a corporate sense to pay attention to the world, not be so self-focused on our own situation that we're not serving, we're not using our resources in the way that God would ask us to. It reminds me of that U2 song called Miracle Drug where he sings, In science and in medicine, I was a stranger, you took me in. And this had specifically a lot to do with the um, removal of of debt uh, in in the developing world uh, from Western countries and Japan and 
<clears throat> those countries uh, waiving the debt because they were under this burden of debt that they couldn't couldn't pay off. And a lot of it was from the Cold War where the United States would lend money to what they perceived to be friendly regimes to uh, beat back communism, like the Philippines. Uh, but often these dictators and these uh, strongmen or whatever would take the money and stick it in their back pocket, but it incurred a debt on the country. Or with AIDS, uh, you know, the Western drugs are very expensive uh, to treat AIDS, but uh, George Bush uh, decided to create a program where we provided uh, like the antiviral medications for AIDS treatment to Africa because I think half of Africa is like under 20 years old and they get infected with AIDS because their parents had it. Um, and the antivirals are very effective in keeping them from being sick. So in science and in medicine, I was a stranger, you took me in. And that was uh, a line from u two song, uh, Miracle Drug, written by Bono, of course. And uh, we have to pay attention to not just ourselves individually, we have to pay attention to the world. And if we think about that scripture verse where Jesus talks about the sheeps and the goats, you know, he's basically saying that we paid attention to... Uh, to other people, that's Matthew twenty-five thirty-two. Uh, the nations are gathered before him, and he says, the, "You know, the righteous go to the right, the uh, wicked go to the left, and the ones that are wicked say, Lord, Lord, we 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 listened to you when you talked in the streets. We we did this, but Jesus says, I was in prison. You know, I was hungry. I was thirsty. You just didn't notice me. You just didn't pay attention. You know, so arguments from absence, like we didn't notice, are not good excuses. So I would implore you today." that we have to pay attention. We have to pay attention to our, our situations around us and also to world events and do what we can to help people, elect people that are compassionate and can uh, represent the best in America uh, for the world, to help the world. And I just want to end on this note. You know, we have so much prosperity in this country that we have kids that wear these ragged jeans. They buy them destroyed. And I was just thinking, like, a person that lives in a, a country that made those jeans who then has to mutilate them to sell them on the American market. I mean, if that's not like uh, an overconsumption issue, I don't know what else is. Now, I know what teenagers are saying, you know, like maybe my life doesn't feel perfect or, you know, a little bit of ragginess has some beauty to it. But imagine you're a poor person or a person that's working in a, in a factory, in a garment factory, manufacturing blue jeans, and they tell you, okay, now that you've made the blue jeans, Take these, uh, take these instruments and mutilate the genes so they have these holes in them and they have these tears. They would think that we're absolutely insane. They would think we're this, the craziest people that have ever lived. So uh, I don't want to be too hard on teenagers. Uh, I know what they're trying to communicate by doing it. It's not bad necessarily entirely. But I'm just using it as an example. When you start to destroy clothes, you have too much you have too much wealth in your society <laughs> to make them fashionable. Uh, my grandmother, who was from Germany and lived through World War One, would go absolutely bonkers if she saw kids walking around with tears in the jeans that were done intentionally. So pay attention. Pay attention to uh, people around us. Pay attention to the world. Be informed. And I uh, thank you for your patience. Uh, see, I'm teaching you spiritual values just by listening to this podcast because you got to put up with me, right? You know, listen, listen to me rant all the time. Matthew 25, 22. Anyway, I think we'll leave that at that today. Uh, hope everybody's doing well. Reach out if you want. Bless to, blessings to you. I am eternity's free citizen. When we live for eternity, we're free people.